paper and print or electronic, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first 12 verses as we continue in our study of this book. The focus of this passage centers on two concepts. First is pleasing God. That's the purpose of our walk in Christ. And another word that may or may not be familiar to you, sanctification, and how we accomplish that purpose of pleasing God. We're going to read together now chapter, uh, well, I'll read, you, you follow along. <laughs> chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we've also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. That word holiness is also the same original word as sanctification. Therefore he rejects, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. And that could also be translated that you may be mature or complete. Lord, as we spend a few minutes in your word, your Holy Spirit inspired these words from the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. And your Holy Spirit lives in us. He's the teacher. So Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us in our thinking this morning. That we would hear your voice through these words. And Lord, you might work in us and change us if we need to be changed. Move us forward. Help us, like Paul said, to abound more and more in our life with Christ. We pray this thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen. You notice he started off the first verse there of chapter 4 with the word finally. doesn't mean he's at the end of the book, but basically he's changing the direction of the book. The first three chapters, he was dealing, talking about when he had come and reminding them of how he taught and, all, and defending the gospel. Now he shifts gears and he goes to practical instruction on how he wants how God wants his people to live. In, in the short time that Paul and Silas had been with the Thessalonian church, remember it was only about three or four weeks, he had taught them a whole lot about basic Christianity, Christian living. 
But he also knows how vital it is for Christ's followers to continue to grow. I don't know if you noticed it, if you picked up on it, we read those 12 verses. But a a reoccurring phrase, abound more and more, or increase more and more. He wants us to move off the dot from where we are right now. And the purpose for us is to keep moving and growing and increasing in our knowledge, our understanding, and our relationship with Christ. So that's what he's doing here with Thessalonians. He builds on their understanding that the purpose of their walk with Christ, their walk with Christ being their manner of life, their lifestyle, the purpose for a Christian's life is one thing, to please God. You'll find this over and over again in Scripture. The goal of pleasing God shows up a lot of times. Here are just a few instances. I'll put up on the screen for you. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. I'm reading from the New King James Version, by the way. For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And here's that phrase. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for the purpose of patience and long-suffering joyfully or with joy. Then 1 John 3.22, Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John 8, 29, he who sent me is with me. This is Jesus talking. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Romans 8, 8 gives us kind of an admonition here. He says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 2 Timothy 2, 4 adds to that. He says, no soldier... No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 1 Thessalonians, in our study in chapter 2, verse 4, we read, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests the hearts. And then finally we come to our verse this morning. Finally then, Brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. You should grow just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. The basic desire for each one of us should be to live in such a way that we bring a smile to God's face. I've shared this before. I'm I'm sure that as God looks at me, uh, the smile sometimes is a chuckle (laughs) or a laugh. I want, though, to experience his pleasure. Have you ever been in that place in your relationship with God uh, where you could just almost bask in his smile? You could feel his pleasure for you? That's his will for us. That's the key to the life of a Christ follower. A person who is outside of Christ lives to please himself. A person who is in Christ lives to please God. So we need to ask the question, how do we do that? Have you ever worked for somebody or lived with somebody that it was impossible to please? No matter what you did, it was never good enough. The standard was so high you could never reach it. And there was whatever you did, you were 
proud of it. You brought your report card home and you got all A's but one C and all they focused on was the C. We've all experienced people like that, haven't we? You know, God's not like that. He loves us. He looks at us. He knows our heart. He knows us inside out. He knows our weakness. He knows our, our, our fault. He knows our sin. But he loves us all the same. And he's the optimist looking for the good. We please God when we grow in our walk with God. That key phrase, abound more and more. There were three characteristics of that walk given to us. It's a worthy walk, he said in verse 1. He says, we urge you that you should learn how to walk and to please God. Uh, In verses 11 and 12, he says, aspire to lead a quiet life. And in verse 12, he says, walk properly toward those who are outside. Colossians 1.10 talked about walking a worthy life. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, walk worthy of the God who called you. The word worthy is an interesting word. The, the root word for it in the original language uh, has the idea of balance. Put in your mind's eye a, a teeter-totter. Anybody, anybody ever liked doing teeter-totter when you were kids? I haven't seen those on playgrounds. I guess they're too dangerous now. But they were sure fun when we were kids, especially if you got on with somebody who was a lot heavier than you. They could really bounce you up in the air, couldn't they? You remember? Am I giving you some word pictures here? Oh, yeah. Or if, if they've got you up in the air, and then they jump off, <laughs> and you go down really quick. Well, the idea of, of worthiness is you want to maintain it in balance so that your walk, your Christian life, is balanced with your talk, who you claim to be. We don't go around with badges, unless it's maybe a T-shirt or a hat, proclaiming ourselves to be Christians. But those who get to know us learn that we believe in Jesus Christ. They know who we say we are. And they also may know what or have expectations of what a Christian should be like. Our walk and our talk need to be balanced. That's when your walk is worthy. It's an obedient walk. He's used the word commandment here a couple of times. When he was instructing them as he came uh, for those three or four weeks... He shared not his own commandments, but the commandments from God for them. So a a walk that is pleasing to God is is balanced, it's worthy, but it's also obedient. Uh, The word commandment there is actually a military term. Those of you who were in boot camp in in the Army or the Marines or the Navy, when the drill sergeant gave you a command, what was your response expected to be? Sir, yes, sir. Right? Am I, am I correct? I wasn't in the service, but I've seen enough movies. <laughs> I watched Gomer Pyle on TV. When God gives a command, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And it's for our good and for his glory. And he expects our attitude to be that of sir. Yes, sir. And the third characteristic is it's a sanctified walk. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time these next few minutes. The whole idea of being sanctified. Verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. It, raise me your hands if you've ever been search, trying to search out what is the will of God for your life. That should be every hand. 
We're all, if we're pleasing God, we're obedient to God. We want to know what his will is so we can do it, right? Well, I can tell you right now, confidently, here's the answer. At least part of the answer. God's will for you is sanctification. Okay, well, what's that? The word sanctification is translated many ways in English, oftentimes in our Bible. Did you know when Paul writes to the saints who are at Thessalonica, the word saints means is the sanctified ones. When he talks about you should be holy even as I am holy, the word holy is that same word, sanctified. Sanctified means, really simply, to be set apart, separated. Separated from something and separated or dedicated to something. So what are we separated from if we're a believer? What are we supposed to be separated from? Three other words. Starts with S, ends in N. Sin. You got it. (laughs) God wants us to be separated from sin. To walk in a way that honors him. That is balanced with what his word says we should be. To whom or what should be we be separated or dedicated. Three letter word starts with G, ends with D. Capital G. God. Separated from sin to God. That's sanctification. Now there's three aspects of sanctification in in scripture. It's past, present, and future. In uh, Hebrews 10.10, by God's will we have been sanctified, past tense, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all people, once for all time. That's our position in Christ. When Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose from the tomb, he purchased us. He purchased our lives. He sanctified us. He separated us unto himself as a holy Special possession. When you take wedding vows as a husband and wife, you promise to be sanctified in your relationship, set apart from all others, dedicated to you. That's the past present, a past aspect of it. And there's the present or progressive sanctification. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of Christ. We, each of us as Christ followers, are in that process. It's a pilgrimage, if you would, of growth toward being more Christ-like. So we are in the process of being sanctified. Who does the sanctifying? Can you sanctify yourself? So who does it, according to what we've been reading in Scripture? God does it through the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job in your life and my life as Christians, as believers and followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's in the process of chipping off the rough edges Sometimes he uses the chisel. Sometimes he has to use a chainsaw. <laughs> I'd much rather use 100 grit sandpaper. <laughs> Sometimes it's painful. But it always is uncomfortable because it means you're changing. 
but he's making you to be more like Jesus. That's a process each of us is going through, and we're each at different places on that stage. Now, I'm, I'm an old man. <laughs> I've been a Christian since 1954, July 18th. It's a long time ago. But there are people in here who have been Christians less time who may be farther along in that process of Christ-likeness than I am. You would expect me as an old man, a mature Christian, by years anyway, to be well away, well along on that walk. But you might be growing faster. And it doesn't matter. God, the Holy Spirit, is working in each one of our lives in that process of sanctification. He knows us inside out. He knows where the rough spots are. He knows what needs to change. And he's changing it. He uses people. He uses circumstances. He uses all sorts of things. That's the all things work together for good in Romans 8.28. uses everything in that process with the one goal of making us more like Jesus, which sanctifies us and makes us pleasing to the Heavenly Father. So that there's past, there's present, and there's future, or the ultimate sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself, I love that, himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. When is that going to be? He finishes the sentence, At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of these days, either when I go to be with him through death or whether he comes and takes us home at the rapture, we are going to experience the ultimate sanctification. What Jesus paid his, the price for, what we've been living through, is going to come to a completion in our experience when Jesus comes for us or when we die and enter his presence. And that sanctification is going to bring a smile to God's face. Does this make sense to you? I'm trying, it, it really is pretty simple, but it's the most complex thing in life to live out. So here in this passage, Paul is focusing on the present. Christ's followers are to be set apart, are to live in contrast with the world. And he outlines three categories here. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on these three categories because they're very obvious. But they encompass the whole of our life, the whole of our walk with Christ. He outlines three categories, morality, relationships, and lifestyle. In your morality, um, let's, let's back up for a second. Thessalonica, it was the capital of Macedonia, a Roman colony. It was a seaport. It was right on the way of the road from the sea to Rome. A lot of traffic, a lot of people in and out, a lot of pagan temples, a lot of promiscuity. Uh, The people of Thessalonica, for the most part, were immoral, they were self-centered, and they were pleasure-driven. That was their reputation. And it's interesting that you take immorality, self-centeredness, and pleasure-driven, and you overlay it on what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about sanctification for us in our morality. We're to be pure. 
in our relationships, we're to love one another rather than being self-centered. And in our um, lifestyle, we're to be examples to other people rather than just pleasure-driven. Isn't that interesting how it fits together? So he says, abstain from sexual immorality. The word for immorality, there is one we translate into English as, as pornography. Pornea is the word. Porn is the root word for immorality. In uh, verses 3 and 4, he says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. First part of it, you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. There's that word again. Sanctification and honor in purity. Let's take a a quick pause from Thessalonica and let's think about Iron County or Utah or the United States and see if maybe these three characteristics might fit our society today. Immoral, self-centered, Pleasure-driven. Isn't that right? Can I hear an amen if it's true? Yeah. All you have to do is watch the commercials on TV and it gives you an education as to what's going on in our society. Do they ever choose ugly people for commercials? Not usually. Uh, Be like me and you can have this. It it appeals to our sex drives, to our, our pride, and to our desire for material things. You're never to be satisfied. You always have to have this or that. Whatever the product, uh, it's always trying to help you want more so they can make more money. I am I'm, uh, mixed emotions about what's going on morally in our country today. I'm furious. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. I'm hopeful, and I'm joyful. That's a whole range of emotions, isn't it? Why in the world would I look around, would I be hopeful and joyful? Can you think of a reason? Yes, you got it, John. The Bible says this is going to increase all the more in preparation for Christ's return to judge sin and to take us home so that makes me hopeful. These signs, even though I'm furious at them, I'm, I'm, all these other emotions, I'm excited that Christ's coming is sooner. It's going to come sooner than, than I thought before. I think we're on the road. And I, I'm excited about that. But, you know, the stuff that we read about, if you watch Fox News or whatever TV channels, you watch news channels, you see what's going on sexually in our community. And I keep thinking that's there in those liberal cities, those liberal states. As you know, in Iron County, there are high school teachers who on the first day of school are asking their children, their students, how do you want to be referred to as far as your sexual identity? That's happening. It did happen in our schools here in Iron County these last few weeks. It's not just California. It's not just Chicago. It's happening here. Everything is turned upside down. Think of the word standard. A standard is something that, well, when we were in school, there were standards set for grades. There were standards set for behavior, for dress code. There are no standards today. 
the standards are being evolved, washed away. You do whatever you like. And, and what used to be wrong and unthinkable is now glorified. It's happening, and it's going to get worse. So he says, you as Christians, that better not describe you. Abstain from sexual morality. That abstain, word abstain means hold oneself off. And he broadens it in other passages where he says, and like in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. Stay away from it. So that brings me back to another question similar to we started with. How do you do that? How do you abstain when you're, you're immersed in all of this stuff? You can't get away from it. How do you keep your mind pure, your heart pure? Because that's where your behavior starts. How do you do it? Anybody have any ideas? How can I keep my mind pure? Uh, there, you know, David or Solomon asked that question. Oh, was it? Maybe it was David. How shall a young man cleanse his way? Psalm 119. How shall he? What does it say? Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Anybody know? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It starts in our relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, who wrote this book as an instruction manual for us to help us know how to live godly lives separated from the world, separated to God, and bringing a smile to God's face. God's word is the key. That's him talking to us. But it doesn't do any good when it sits on a coffee table or a shelf and it looks nice. And you dust it off and keep it clean because that's God's word. God's word is meant to be devoured. Joshua, excuse me, yeah, Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you might be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will find success. And I might add, then you will bring a smile to God's face. I know I'm preaching to the choir. You know this. But I would wager, if I were a betting man, that the percentage of people in this room right now that spend more than 15 minutes reading God's word three times a week, I bet that percentage is really low. We get so busy. We get so lazy. We get so focused on other things. Make God's word a priority in your life. Let him speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit have some words to put into your heart and your mind so that when Satan says, oh, that looks good, you might say, like Jesus did, no, God's word says. You've got to have the ammunition inside of you to be able to shoot a weapon that will demolish Satan's temptation. Bottom line, Christians are supposed to take their standards of sexuality from God, not from society, not from culture. Romans 12, 1 and 2, have you got that one memorized? I beseech ye, therefore, I learned it in King James. Beseech ye, brethren, therefore, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? God's word. That's the only way. 
There's so many verses we could bring in, but we don't have time to read right now. So why do we do it? He says back in 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 3, it's the will of God. Can you remember the Lord's Prayer? I bet you've memorized that one. What did Jesus say? Whose will be done? Thy will be done when? Or where? On earth as it is in heaven. Well, you know God's will is being done in heaven because Satan and his fallen angels are gone. He wants his will done here at Red Hills, in Cedar City, in Enoch, in Parowan, just as it's done in heaven. It's God's will. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember his prayer. He says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, my death, pass from me. But nevertheless, what? Not my will, but thine be done. Even Jesus, the Son of God, wrestled as a human with what was going on. But he submitted his will to his father's. Because of the consequences, verses 5 and 6, not on a passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, don't take advantage of and defraud your brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such, just like we forewarned you and testified. There are consequences to sin. Those of us who live for a while have experienced consequences. Have you ever experienced the consequences of a sin? Ah, oh, yeah. If you don't raise your hand, you're probably not telling the truth. <laughs> if you haven't, you will. It's kind of like when I learned to ride a motorcycle. I was told by my instructor there are two types of motorcycle riders. John, what are they? Yep, the ones who have crashed and the ones who will. <laughs> and we've both learned that the hard way. Consequences, right? <laughs> because of God's will, because of the consequences, also because of our call. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, your temple, your body is what? A temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You are not your own because you've been bought with the price. That's what we did here at the Lord's Supper. Remembered that Jesus Christ paid the price not just to forgive us our sins, but to buy us. We belong to him. He's called us to live holy or sanctified lives. And because he says to reject this, is to reject God. I don't want to reject God. Do you? No. So, in your morality, sexual purity, in your relationship to one another, he says, I want you to love each other. In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, increase and abound in love to one another. Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And you do that toward all the brethren who were in all of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brethren, do it more and more. Increase more and more to all believers. There's something that kind of sneaks up on you in that verse uh, 10. You do so toward all the brethren. So I could say that we do that here in Red Hills. But he says, and all who are in Macedonia, that's a lot bigger scope. He says, so our relationship of love ought to begin here, but it also to spread. And we ought to be loving those who are not in our community. Those who are outside, who are doing the work of the Lord, who are fellow Christians, who are suffering. We need to express 
agape, others-oriented love, to the brotherhood. That's an old term. We're talking about the body of Christ locally as well as around the world. Love is a response to God's love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, We love, not because we love God, but because he first loved us. And he gave his son for us to be a propitiation, a stand-in, the one who took our punishment on our behalf. It's a response to God's love, and it is an action word. Let's, let's quote a verse together I know you've all got memorized. John three sixteen, first one I learned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So back it up. For God so loved, he loved the world this much, now he defines or describes love, that he what? Gave. So love is not just an emotion. It's not a fuzzy, warm feeling. It's not goosebumps and hair standing up on the back of your neck when you see a beautiful girl or a handsome guy. Love is an action word that's outward-oriented or focused. He loves so much that he gave his only son, his most valued relationship. And who did he love? Who, who was the love expressed to? Us. The world. So it's not love that's self-centered, but others-oriented. So when he says, in your relationships with other believers, that's the context, it should be marked by self-sacrifice, by giving or meeting the needs of others by outward actions. And you know what happens when we do that, when we act like Christians? People notice. Unfortunately, what most of the time they notice is division, anger, arguments. Those Baptists, they're all, they grow by splitting. That's how this church started. Split off from First Baptist in Cedar City several years ago. What a shame. We should be growing by loving others, seeing that love, asking, where'd that come from? Why are you like that? And them coming to know Christ. And finally, in your lifestyle, verses 11 and 12 of our chapter, that you aspire to lead a quiet life. Now, there are six characteristics he gives you here. And I'm going to go through them really quick. He says, uh, Live a quiet life. Would you describe your life as quiet? kind of depends on your stage of life. My, my gra- oldest granddaughter has four kids, ages 5 through 12. It's not a quiet life. Full of activity. She's, I mean, she's a teacher. <laughs> and add that to it. I'm 76 years old and retired. My life is a little quieter as far as activity. I don't have to get up and look at a schedule and a time clock. Okay, God, what do you want me to do today? My life is dictated by yard work. (laughs) What Joyce and I are kindred spirits. But that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about activity. It's talking about your heart. A quiet heart is a peaceful heart, a tranquil, tranquil heart. No matter what's going on on the outside, 
The Holy Spirit is a spirit of peace. One of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. He wants you to have a heart that is settled, that is peace, at peace with God, at peace with yourself, regardless of the circumstances. You meet somebody like that and that catches your attention. Wow, how can you be so calm? Open door. You know what? Because I got Jesus in my heart. And he's given me peace in the middle of a storm. Be honest with each other. He says, don't take advantage of or defraud each other in verse 6. Again, that's not the norm in our culture. The norm is get it for yourself no matter how. See how you can do it. Oh, man, I, you, they didn't see me walk out with this. Oh, I got this much over and change. Isn't that great? Be honest. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, be a person of your word. It's going to catch attention. Mind your own business. Whoa. Now you stop preaching and you start meddling, right? <laughs> Mind your own business. Be a person who is a person of integrity, of solid character. Keep things quiet when they should be quiet. Enough said. Work with your hands. Proverbs is all full of, of admonitions about the lazy person and the industrious person. What does the say the old saying, idleness is the devil's workshop? We should be productive in what we're doing. As if we have jobs, we should be the best employee or strive to be the best employee at that job. If you're a teacher, be the best teacher you can be. Get something and be productive. That keeps your mind focused. And again, it's a testimony to those who are outside you. And he says, be an example to other believers. You get down to verse 12. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside. So not just in our relationships with believers, but with those who don't know the Lord. And finally, he says, be responsible and mature that you may lack nothing. Matthew 5.16, another verse you need to memorize if you haven't. Let your light so shine before men that what? They may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what these six characteristics of a lifestyle will do. It will get people's attention. They'll ask questions. You give them answers. It glorifies your Father who is in heaven. So here's the takeaway. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. Do you want to live a lifestyle pleasing to God? Better see every hand go up in here. All right. We can't do it on our own power. But the amazing, wonderful thing is that God lives in each of us, his children, through his Holy Spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit's job, to empower us, to transform us, to conform us to the image of Christ. So I'm going to ask you another question, and you don't need to raise your hand on this one. Will you commit to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, starting today, to the best of your ability, live a lifestyle pleasing to God, a lifestyle that is separated from the world's standards and dedicated to God? That's the question we're going to ask. Lord, thank you.